Back to School Sunday is, uh, is going to be an amazing time for our community. We've invited uh, all of our district, uh, Glendora Unified School District staff. Uh, we've invited all the teachers and, and staff here at Sellers Elementary School. I had a great meeting with, uh, with Principal Bishop, who serves as the principal at, uh, here at Sellers Elementary School. We met for about 45 minutes this week, and it was just good to connect with him um, and hear from him. Uh, what God's doing here on this campus, because believe it or not, even though it's a public school, God is moving and He is doing things on this campus, right? And so uh, we're going to have a great time next Sunday. So be involved. Also, we've asked for donations of uh, chips, individual bags of chips, soda, and bottled water. If you brought that this morning, if you've already dropped that off, Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're sitting there right now going, oh, I knew I was forgetting something this morning, it's not too late. Uh, you can drop that off at the Thrive Center this week. Uh, we'll be there on Tuesday all day, and if you want to drop that off, that would be great. Uh, and it's just a way that we can help provide for this event. By the way, I said that the food is free for the community. It's free for you as well. Uh, we're going to feed you as well. You're a part of the community. You count. Um, uh, and then your VIP cards, we pass those out, and you've been praying for people over the last few weeks uh, about who to invite to come to be a part of uh, Back to School Sunday. And so this is the week where you kind of put that into action uh, as the Lord has been not just preparing your heart, but been, pre been preparing them. That's why we pray. Can I tell you this morning, prayer is not wishful thinking, right? Prayer is not just like, oh, I hope an opportunity kind of presents itself. We've been praying with intent that God would prepare their hearts for the invitation and for that seed. So now take God at his word and step out in boldness and in faith and ask them and then just invite them. Uh, Megan and I are inviting uh, people that we know who we know are not connected with a church family who, are, uh, who have kids that we'd love to pray over. So uh, as I always say, this is not the invitation. This is just information. You are the invitation. And so go ahead and, and extend that invitation and then share that card. And, and like I said in the video, hop online, get on Facebook and Instagram and share those posts. Uh, would you check in on the, the Facebook event? Indicate if you're going to be attending as that number goes up, actually drives that, that post out into the community even more uh, and generates a little more contact. Uh, and, and I'm not kidding. I, I'm believing that every seat in this place will be filled up next week. Amen? You believe that with me? All right, like four of you. Can you believe that with me, church? All right. Come on. Wow. God is so good. Hey, this morning, I want to share a message that was actually, uh, I shared earlier in the year. It's, a, it's kind of an, an adaptation and a revisitation of a message shared at the end of January. Every January, we start the year going, Lord, what is it you're speaking to us as a church? Where are you leading us? And what is your spirit doing in this place? And how can we join you in what you're doing? And so we ask the Lord for vision and for a word for the year. And, and the word for this year, is the word shine, the word shine. And so I want to kind of revisit where we're at and, and, and kind of represent our vision for this year and what, we, what God put on our heart for this year. Um, hey, guys, I'm kind of ringing in the monitors up here. Can we adjust that a little bit? Um, so if you would turn in your Bibles this morning to a couple of different places, John chapter 1. 
John chapter 1, the gospel of John, the first chapter. We're going to land there for a little bit. Uh, and then I've got a few other passages. In fact, Matt, in Matthew 5, John 1 and Matthew 5, this, the verses will be up on the screen and you can check those out. Uh, so, so let's read this together. Paul writes this, uh, I'm, I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, first of all. It says this, uh, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, uh, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Paul writing here to the Corinthian church, he's in Ephesus, and he's writing to the Corinthians saying, hey, I miss you guys, I want to come hang out with you, and I don't want to just be like there and then gone, I want to spend some time with you, but, but I need you to know that but I'm going to stay here in Ephesus for a little while. Why? Because a great door for effective work has opened to me. See, Paul recognized where the Spirit of God was moving in the community that he was residing in. Now, he doesn't go into detail about what that great door looked like. And I think sometimes when scripture is a little vague, it's for our benefit. Because what we tend to do is when scripture says, this is exactly what happened, we go, okay, then that, that's exactly what needs to happen in our context, right? And, and we create a little box. And we're like, it has to look like this. He just says, there's a great door. Somehow, some, some way, Paul discerned by the Spirit and whether it was relationships because it was, it was highly relational. He was out in the, in the community meeting people. There was a door that had opened to him and he recognized that it wasn't just a door for potential ministry. It was a door for effective ministry. And so he makes a decision to stay for a period of time to say, I'm going to make the most of this opportunity. Then he also says, by the way, there's a lot of people who oppose me. There's a lot of people who oppose me. Wherever there is an opportunity for an effective work of the Spirit of God, there will be opposition. I, I would so go so far as to say this. If there's no opposition, it might not be the work of God. It might be your idea. Hello? That's a bold statement, but I mean it. If there's no opposition, it might not be God's idea because the enemy will oppose everything that flows from the heart of God. And so we have to ask ourselves as a church, what is God calling us to as a congregation? And how can we align ourselves with that call? And I tell you this morning, this message is not designed today just as a cheerleading session or, or, or a pep rally in preparation for next Sunday. That's not what the goal is this morning. My goal is to align us with what God spoke to us in January about what he was going to do. And by the way, has been doing. So that we finish this year strong on point with what he's called us to do. God has opened a great door for effective ministry. I believe back to school Sunday is a door for effective ministry in our community. As of this morning, there were over 50 people on that Facebook uh, event who've indicated that they're interested in coming next week. 50 people. That means that if they come with one other person, we don't have enough seats in this room. That's not counting the school district. That's not counting the teachers at Sellers. And that's not counting the people that you're going to invite. Can I get an amen? Amen. God is moving. There is an, a door for effective ministry, but we have to ask ourselves as a church, not me as a pastor, not our leadership team, 
us as a church to say, God, are we ready to join you where you are working? To step in line with what your spirit is doing because I believe that God wants to bring hope into a place and into a community where there is a lack of hope. And I'm not just talking about Glendora. I'm talking about our nation and the world that we live in. So this is not just a pep rally. It's a critical reminder of God's call on our lives to engage with him in the mission that he has called us to. So let's read out of John chapter 1, verse 1 through 12. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We've been talking about the Word quite a bit this morning already in worship, that God's Word will not return void. He will do what He said He will do. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I read that again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, say yet. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Praise the Lord. Do you hear the hope? Do you, Jock, here's the hope. Do you hear the hope? <laughs> this verse does not say, well, there wasn't any darkness, or it was kind of dim. It was kind of twilightish. He says there is darkness, but light came into the darkness in the form of Jesus Christ. And the darkness cannot overcome the light. The same darkness that existed then exists today. I tell you what, we, we talk about, we read the news, and we, we complain about what we see happening in the world. And we should, it should be burdensome to us. But can I tell you this morning, there's nothing new under the sun. We do not have the corner on the market when it comes to depravity. We don't. When we look at history, it, the same things, the same cycles, the same brokenness, the same issues, all of those things. Everything that we can dream of, everything that we see in the news today, it's already happened before multiple, multiple times. The thing that does not change is the person of Jesus Christ. He does not change. He comes into the darkness and he overcomes the darkness. The darkness does not overcome him. And not everyone recognizes him and not everyone sees him. But to those who do, to those who will say yes to him, he gives them the right to become children of Dark, of, of darkness. I, I'm reading my notes. Wow, that went sideways. <laughs> Back up. He gave the right to become children of God. We can't ignore the darkness, though. As believers, 
as ones who have given our lives to Jesus, who've put our hope in him, who've become children of God, and I hope that you have. My prayer this morning is that you've said yes to Jesus, that you've received and that you've believed him and that you've become a child of God. But as children of God, we can't turn a blind eye to what's happening in our world because God doesn't turn a blind eye to what's happening in our world. We have to face the darkness. We have to recognize that there's darkness. I shared back in January that loneliness, anxiety, and depression are on the rise. One in five adults say they regularly feel lonely, despite Facebook. In fact, I think it might be contributing. 18% of Americans suffer from anxiety disorders. Depression rates have risen between 2013 and 2016. 63% increase in adolescence. 63% increase in, in depression in adolescence and a 47% increase in those aged 18 to 34. Suicide is increasing. It's the second leading cause of death in those between ages of 15 and 34. Divorce is rampant outside of the church, and unfortunately inside of the church. Statistics indicate that the divorce rate inside of the church is about the same as what it is to those who are not a part of a church community. Addiction to drugs and alcohol and op opioids and pornography and social media and entertainment and all manner of things is increasing as people seek to soothe the pain and the lostness in their own hearts and souls. Fear is on the increase. Have you noticed lately that you can't watch the news and just hear the news? I remember when the news was just that, news. Now it is not that, and it doesn't matter whether it's left or right or center. Everyone is, it's a commentary, and it is riddled with fear. It is riddled with fear. You need to be afraid of this. You need to be afraid of that. You need to be afraid of these people and those people and this and that. We hear about the shootings, which are tragic. The shootings in our nation are tragic. The violence in our nation is tragic. But can you see the plan of the enemy to stir up fear in the hearts of people? I, heard a, I read a news article this week that said people are planning on moving out of this country because of the number of the rise in shootings in this nation. Can I tell you what? It's not just here. There's other issues around the world. Wherever you go, there's going to be things to be afraid of. I love that God's word tells us that he's not given us a spirit of fear. Amen? Political upheaval and the fear that comes from that and the fact that our nation and the, the, the rhetoric is telling us that we should be afraid of those who are racially or ethnically different to us. Again, nothing new. We see this throughout history. Church, this is darkness. This is the darkness that we face. We understand this, that Christianity in America in some places is increasing in some circles and in some uh, demographics, but in a lot of others it is decreasing. 36% of Americans who identify as Christian say that faith is important in their lives and have attended a service in the, in the past month. 207 million, 654,000 and 56 Americans do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Over 207 million people in our nation do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Church, that should just bother us. That should cause something to rise up inside of us. 1993, a survey by Barnes said that 89% of Christians who shared their faith agreed that this is the responsibility of every Christian. Today, that number has dropped from 89% to 64%. 64% of Christians say that it's their responsibility. The rest don't feel like it's their job to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 33 American Christ- Americans identify their religious affiliation as None. Los Angeles ranks number 18 uh, as the number 18 of the most unchurched cities in the USA. Los Angeles City and then even Los Angeles County. And this morning during our prayer time at 930, uh, which by the way, you're all invited to be a part of every Sunday. We pray at 930 and it's open invitation for you to come and pray and be a part of that. Someone mentioned in, in prayer this morning that there are 40 churches in Glendora. And that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Man, Glendora is not that big of a city. Forty churches sounded like a lot, and so I did a little math. How many churches? What's our population? If we divided that equally, every one of those 40 churches in Glendora would have 1,300 people in it. All of a sudden, 40 churches doesn't sound like enough churches, does it? We have a job to do. People are living in darkness. Church, a door for effective ministry is open to us. Not to us as Thrive Church, to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. As someone who's been filled with His Spirit and empowered to go into the community that you live in, the neighborhood that you reside in, the workplace that you work in, and to share the hope of Jesus Christ with people who are desperate to know, who are desperate for life. Matthew 28, 18, and 19 says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Say go. Go. Now say it with some conviction. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus telling his disciples and telling us today, I am giving you authority to go. To go and share, to go and preach, to go and make disciples. To see them baptized and to see them trained up in the word of God. Acts 1.8, Jesus would say just a little bit later, he says, you will receive power. When, you, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is commissioning you to go to your neighborhood, to your community, and maybe even to the ends of the earth. I didn't tell her I was going to do this, but Katie Rice, would you stand up this morning? You're like, oh, buddy, what's going on? It's all right. So Caitlin... If you don't know, yeah, give it up for Caitlin. So sorry. Uh, No, 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 stay standing. You're not done. You're not done. Caitlin's a pastor's kid, so I'm like, I'll get get some room to wiggle here. Caitlin gets on a flight to Fiji this afternoon with a missions team coming from Ohio, Oregon, Oregon and, and Indiana. There are 
15, 14, 15 people that are going to Fiji to go and minister uh, with the church down there. She's going to the ends of the earth. Can we just pray for her right now? Would you just lay hands on her if you're right by her? Jesus, we commission Katie to go. Thank you for her obedience, her sacrifice, her willingness to partner with the work that is taking place in the nation of Fiji. Thank you for the faithfulness of her and her family who've been going for decade, over a decade now uh, and have built relationship in that place. And so, Lord, we pray for huge doors of effective ministry to open as she goes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Maybe God's calling you to go. Well, I know he's calling you to go. And it might not be to Fiji. Some of you are like, That's, that sounds nice. I'll go to Fiji. <laughs> There's darkness there as well. A lot of it. But he's calling you to go across the street, across the aisle, right? To the next cubicle. Just go. He's empowered you. He's commissioned you. He's calling you. So listen, church. The church of God doesn't have a mission. We don't have a mission. The mission of God has a church. Let me say that again. We, we come up with, okay, church, what's our mission? And we're going to get creative about it. And God says, no, 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 no. I have a mission and I'm just raising you up to go do the thing I called you to do. The church of God doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church. It was his idea, and then he raises up his people to go and accomplish the thing that he's called us to do. You might say, well, that's just semantics. I believe it's deeper than that. I believe the first one we can give ourselves, it's my mission, and I'm asking God to bless it, then I can take my time. But if it's God's mission, the urgency all of a sudden changes. So shine, that's our theme for this year. Shine, let your light shine in the darkness. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus says this. By the way, previously he had said, I am the light of the world. You remember that? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Then he changes it and he says this in verse 14. You are the light of the world. Town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to make a a, a statement here and, and hear my heart this morning. We spend a lot of time in this church talking about grace. We spend a lot of time in this church talking about health and relationship. I don't preach a lot of message where, messages where I'm like, come on, church, go, right? I, I don't do that a lot, but I believe there's times where we need a fire not lit under us, but a fire lit in us. An appointed reminder of the mission that God has called us to. He says this, let your shine, light shine before others. He's not talking about other lights. That when we come together and we have the light of God, it's great. It's good. We, when, we, when we gather as a church, it's a blast. When you get together with other believers, it's awesome. When you pray and you have Bible studies, yes, yes. 
But if that's all we ever do, we're just shining our light at other people who have light. But if you never get your light into the darkness, what good is it? Let your light shine before people who do not have light. You know, and it's funny sometimes as Christians, that's the last place that we want, because we're like, oh, I feel awkward. But the culture's not receptive to it. Did, did you remember what Paul said? Hey, this great door is open, but there's a lot of opposition. You're in good company. But greater is he that is in you than he is in the, that is in the world. Let your light shine. You are the light of the world. Let God's light shine through you. And together we are Thrive Church. It just happens to be who we are in this place, in this space. There are great churches in this community and all around the world. And we get to participate and partner with them and work arm in arm, whether we know them or not. We are doing kingdom business, but right here, we are Thrive Church. And our core passage is this, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's why we're called Thrive Church. We don't believe that people just need to get by. That God has given us and designed us with the capacity to thrive in every aspect of our lives. But we know this, the same opposition that Paul faced is the opposition that Jesus faced, is the opposition that you faced. It's the enemy of our souls who wants to steal, kill, and destroy that's what he wants to do. And he's doing it out there. He's doing it in the lives of people who don't know the Lord and keeping them away from the truth. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, now these three remain hope, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. Back in January, I tied those two passages together. And it says, and I made these points. You're, you were made to shine. The light of your life is designed to this, do these three things. So if the enemy is going to come against us, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I can see him wanting to steal faith. To kill hope. And destroy love. Now he can do that in any order, right? But it, I like how this aligns for our purposes. The enemy wants to steal your faith. He wants to rob you of the thing that God has deposited in you. He wants to kill any kind of hope that things will get better, life will be okay. And he wants to destroy the love that we have for each other. By the way, the, the Bible says, Jesus says that the world will know us how because of the love that we have for each other. Our love for each other is one of the greatest ways that our lights shine so I want to make three quick points this morning before we close. The number one thing is this. When you let your light shine, what ends up happening is you recover faith. You recover faith. People are losing their faith. And maybe there's some places where you're like, oh, I'm, and I'm not talking about the, oh, I just have faith to get, it, get through today. But that kind of question that creeps into people's minds that says, is God really real? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is God really for me? And it starts questioning the very nature of God in people's lives. 
And we as a church, as believers in Jesus, can come alongside of others and even in our own lives and recover faith. Our light shining will help people recover that faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, faith, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The pleasing God here, by the way, is not a performance mentality, right? You've got to work to please me. What he's talking about here, the writer of Hebrews, is that, that God will be pleased with, that there's a, there's a posturing of the Lord, that when we have faith in him, as we read earlier, that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it opens a door for us to be received by the Father, and that's the please that he's talking. You cannot have a relationship with God if you don't have faith. If you don't believe that he is God, how can you have a relationship, right? Hello? It's, it's pretty basic. And so what the enemy does is he goes after the seed. So as soon as someone has an inkling and they ha start having a thought that maybe God is real, Maybe I've been believing a lie. Maybe they hear a song or someone speaks something to them that deposits a seed. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that the goal of the enemy is to swoop in and snatch that seed before it even has a chance to germinate, to take root, and to turn into something. He wants to rob them of their faith. He wants to rob you of your faith. It's easier to pluck, out a seed, pluck a seed out of the ground than it is to uproot a tree. Megan and I have some plants in our yard that we're trying to dig out. And you ever like encountered a plant where you're just digging and digging and it's like the roots are never end ending, right? Or you, you pull something out and then later on you realize, I didn't get it all and it starts coming back out again and you're like, ah, a deep-seated faith, even when it is scorched, even when it is pressed, will come back up. It will come back through the surface. So the enemy knows if he can go after the seed, he's got you. When we let our light shine, what we do is we help others, including ourselves, Give them the opportunity for that seed to take root. When they watch our lives, when they watch the consistency of the light shining through our lives, that that seed has more opportunity to land on ground and, and take root. Your faith stands out. You might not feel it, but it does. It does. Your faith stands out. Let it stand out. Let it shine. Don't hide it. We talk about, oh, we're in an anti-Christian culture. Did I mention nothing is new? <laughs> if you read about the martyrs that have gone before us and the opposition faced by the church, we haven't seen anti-Christian yet. There are people on this planet right now who get anti-Christian. If you ask believers in the nation of Pakistan what it means to be a Christian in that place. I, I saw an, a profound video this week of a young man from Pakistan who found Jesus in the Quran. That the Quran talks about Jesus being the word of God. 
And how in reading the Quran, he found Jesus and he went to his imam and was like, hey, what does this mean? They kicked him out of the mosque. He went to his dad, what does this mean? They disowned him. They said, you cannot be a part of this family if you say the name Jesus. And he's going, but it's in the Quran. Locked him in his room to starve him to death. And the father came in and said, you either say, call on Allah. If you call on Allah, you live. You call on Jesus, you die. And he called on the name of Jesus. And he says there was a light that filled that room and a strength that came into him. He was able to escape. He now lives separated. His parents made a, a, a... uh, model of his, uh, like a mock body, and then had a funeral. There is a headstone in Pakistan with his name on it, and his family says he is dead. He is very much alive. He is very much alive. And so there's opposition around the world. Church, listen. Yes, there's, there's opposition, but the doors of effective work are greater than the opposition. And if God is opening a, opening a door, yeah, there's going to be opposition, but God will see you through. So revive, I mean, uh, uh, sorry, what was my point? Recover hope. <laughs> Thank you. Recover faith and revive hope. Secondly, the enemy comes to kill hope. The statistics I read earlier should make that obvious that he wants to just rob people of hope. The, the, the suicide rate is as high as it is because people have no hope. I don't see a way out. There is no way, there's no way to recover, there's no way to get out of this. But we are not hopeless. Church, we are not hopeless. We are hopeful. We are filled with Hope. Colossians 1.27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Listen to this. Is this Christ in you, the hope of glory? Christ where? In you. That Christ in you, Jesus in you, is the hope of glory, not just for yourself, but for the people who see Christ in you. That they would see your life and say, there is hope. There's something more. There's something about your life that gives me hope. Christ in you is the hope of glory. He is the hope of the world, and thereby you are the hope of the world. That sounds arrogant to say, but Jesus said, you're the light of the world, which means you are the hope of the world. As you partner with him in the mission, he has chosen you to revive hope in the people he has called you to reach every day. As a pastor, I talk to a lot of people who are lacking hope, who are struggling a lot. Pastor, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't see a way out. I don't see a solution. There's no way. Whether it's a financial situation, a physical situation, a relational situation, it doesn't matter that when we're up against it and it can be going great one day and the next day all of a sudden there's just this lack of hope. And our job as believers, not my job as a pastor, but our role as, as brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus is to bring hope into hopeless places. We sing that song. We talked about it last week. Let hope arise. How? How? 
By playing a, radio, a song on the radio? No, by you being the hope. By bringing that to bear in your circumstances. And then finally this morning, to rebuild love. The enemy is destroying love. He is trying to dismantle the love that people have for each other, whether that is in the home, whether that is in the workplace, whether that is in the church, whether that is in a community. My, uh, Megan and I were yesterday at the Glendora High School football barbecue kickoff. Yes, it is football season. It is upon us. We were there, Jason and Rosie, uh, and the Friars were there, and all of our kids play football together, and it's awesome. And even in the midst of talking to people at this barbecue, we started seeing that there are people who do not get along. And man, it was breaking my heart. Talk to this lady, and I don't know, I'm like, is there a sign on my back? Um, but she just started unloading on me about how offended she is by someone. And she's, she's the mom of a friend of mine I don't even know her that well, but she felt the freedom to just be like, Rah. the enemy comes to destroy love. The Bible says that the world will know us by the love we have for each other, so you better believe he's going to start here. And that we have a commitment as a church family, as the body of Christ. By the way, this doesn't absolve us if we go to another church. Like, we get all smart, like, well, I'm not getting along with the people in that church, so I'm going to go somewhere else. And, and like, like, God's like, oh, yep, you, got, you found the loophole. Um, the kingdom of God is bigger than Thrive Church. Can we get an amen? amen. Now, when you're a part of his family, you're a part of his family. And there's going to be a big old family reunion in heaven. And the Bible says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Do what you need to do to prevent the enemy from destroying love, first in this place, but then even in the community, to restore what God wants to do. See, love is our identifying mark. Got to see the, what is it, Toy Story 4? Was it 4? Yeah. Which was actually, I, was, I went in kind of skeptical, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about this. I didn't like the last one as much, but it was pretty good. And of course, the big, the big thing in that is Andy and Buzz and all they. Right? I mean, a Buzz and, and a Woody, Andy writes his name on their foot and identifies and says, yeah, he's mine. He's mine. That God has written his name, has put his spirit in us, has written our names in his book. And he says, you're, you're mine. And that love that he has for us, we get to extend to the people around us. Love is the mark Jesus has left on us. John 13, 34 through 35 says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must, everyone say must, must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So where do we go from here? What's our next step? What starts with you? It really does. For you to ignite and fan the flame of your own faith, to shine your light in your home. You know that you have to let your light shine in your home. That's not where you give your light a break. Can I get an amen? That's for someone this morning. You don't put your light out at home and then like light it when you go out the door. That's backwards. 
Our first ministry is in our home. We let our light shine brightest there. In fact, it's the place where our lights will be ignited and fanned into flame. And it's our job as parents to fan the, the flames and the light of our children and their faith. We need to be ready to go into our homes, our community, our workplace, and to the world. We need to be ready as a church to recognize where God is moving and then say, okay, God, we want to join you in what you were doing. We know there's going to be opposition. We're good with it. It doesn't matter. We're going to jump in with you, and we want to see what you are doing for us right now as a church. It's next Sunday. But back to school Sunday is just that, a Sunday. Because after that Sunday, there's another Sunday and another week full of days. And another week full of days. And we need to be on mission beyond just one day. We need to be ready to partner with what God is doing. And you better believe he is wanting to do something in this community. So posture yourself. Ask the Lord, God, what is it that, where do, where do I need to be stirred up? Where do I need to be readied? Where do I need to jump in and participate? Whether it's here at Thrive, serving as a part of a team, it's one of our values is we minister as team. That we come alongside of each other first because it's fun. Even people in the church who would say, I would say do the hardest jobs when they minister as team, it's fun. And there's fellowship in the midst of it. But God, where are you calling us to jump in and participate in what you're doing? Church, can I tell you, we have to be ready. When I say it's all hands on deck, every one of us is a part of this family and we're getting ready to receive guests. When you know when family's coming in from out of town and you get the house ready, am I right? Like four of you. My uncle is flying in from South Africa this week. I haven't seen him in almost 20 years. And he's going to be staying at my parents' house. And my dad called me this morning and he says, all the furniture is moved back. We're shampooing the carpets and they're preparing the room, right? They're getting the house ready for Uncle Ken. Does he care? No. But there's something about us, the hospitality of God in us that says, let's, let's get ready to welcome. You're a part of this family. So let's as a family. So even if you don't have an assigned role next Sunday, would you just be ready to jump in? Would you welcome people? Would you greet them? Would you direct them to where they need to be? And let's love our community well. Let's welcome people into our home next Sunday really well. But don't let it just be about next Sunday. God is commissioning you. He's calling you. He's filled you with his spirit. And he's wanting your light to shine. And this is the best place to get it fanned up and flamed up and get it going. And then take it out. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and invite the worship team to come. We're going to close with worship. I want you right now to think about the names that you wrote on your VIP prayer card. By the way, if you, didn't, if you didn't do that yet, it's not too late. It's not too late. You can still think about some people that you want to pray, pray about and pray to invite next week. But would you just uh, remember those names right now? We want to pray for those people. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you for every person that is coming to memory right now. Every name that is just kind of even scrolling through our mind's eye, Lord, every, every person. Lord, you know who's, who will be here next week. 
Do you know every invitation? Lord, do you know every person that will see the event on Facebook? Lord, do you know every person who will receive a card? Uh, Lord, we pray over these cards this morning. We ask that, that you would anoint them, Lord, as they go out, that you would anoint us as we share those in our community. And Lord, that there would be an open door to effective ministry for us at Thrive Church. Not to just make our church bigger, not to say, oh, look what an effective event we did, God. But we want to be able to say, God, there were people who didn't know you who now know you because of the, the effort and the work that is done in this place. We want to be able to say, God, that there are people who have faith, that there are people who now have hope and people who now feel loved because of the work that is taking place in this place, God. So prepare us as a congregation. Prepare this room. Prepare this campus, Lord God, and prepare every heart, every person, every worker in this place, Lord, young and old, to do the work that you've called us to do. Carry us, Lord, through the rest of this year. We ask, Lord, that we would see a great harvest for the kingdom of God as we align ourselves with the mission of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.